0: We're back. After a little hiatus, the first Eco-Insomniacs podcast returns. We're two people too focused on saving the planet to have time to sleep. Both of us are involved with different environmental organizations and do this podcast bi-monthly to discuss various environmental issues. Diana Brandt is the founder and director of Transition to Green. And there's me, Aaron Zober. I run the Appropriate Omnivore blog, I'm a co-leader of the Pasadena Weston A. Price chapter and am an organizer of Los Angeles Dream Drinks. Oh yeah, and I'm also host of this show. So you may have noticed I opened this show a little differently today. Normally, I've started by saying this show consists of three people. Eco Insomniac's co-founder, Gary Mitchell, has stepped down and he's about to be in New Adventures living in Panama. Let's take a moment to appreciate his work on this podcast and wish him the best of luck with his organization, Planet Rehab and his future endeavors. Diana, would you like to add anything about Gary?
1: Well, I love Gary, and I wish him the best. He's embarking on something very exciting. He's going to set up Planet Rehab in Panama, and he has always had an animal sanctuary in his backyard, so now he's going to have his dream come true. And this is going to be open to the public. And so it would be wonderful for you guys to consider making arrangements to visit Gary in Panama.
0: I know he'll be doing great things there. It is a loss to the Southern California community that we don't have him here. But in Panama, they've just gained a great person with great admiration and energy to help the environment and the planet. All right. So now, on today's show with just the two of us, for future episodes, we'll have a rotating chair of the third person. As I explained, I'm Aaron Zober, organizer of Green Drinks, and also involved with other organizations, the Weston Price Chapter and Appropriate Omnivore Blog. Uh, green Drinks, we hold monthly happy hours where anyone interested can attend in order to learn about how to make the world a better place and join others with an alcoholic beverage as we discuss all shades of green. Weston Price Chapter, we're all about food, farming, and the healing arts, providing resources, for people in the Pasadena area of where to get all of these great products and practitioners. And my appropriate encore blog is all about sustainability with the focus on eating meat, that you can be sustainable and eat meat. Here is Diana Brand of Transition to Green. Diana.
1: We are 501c3. We're non We've been an organization since 2008. We offer public educational outreach through our forums. And... It's all about making a transition to sustainable services, products in the marketplace. We also host a variety of events that are a lot of fun, like forums that are held at various institutions like UCLA, JPL, and some other Caltech. We also do a lot of hikes, native walking tours, historic tours, day trips, workshops, supportive green fests. Cleanups, produce exchanges, eco screenings, and we even have an eco book club. That gives you a little bit about what we're up to.
0: Today's topic is the history of clean tech, with a focus on electric vehicles. I'll start with a little history of electric transportation. While many of us think of electric cars as relatively new idea, the concept actually goes back to the early days of the automobile. You could say the electric car has had nine lives. Many cite English investor Thomas Parker as the inventor of the electric car in 1884. While that invention didn't catch on in his time, he's also known for making electric trams a forefather to today's public transportation system. A decade later, interest in electric vehicles grew. People liked them because they didn't have the smell, noise, or vibration of gas-powered cars. They also didn't require gear changes or manual startup, as gasoline vehicles did back then. But in the 1920s, gasoline cars would take over in popularity. Gas became very affordable with the big oil reserves being discovered all over the world. This made gas cars able to go faster and travel longer distances. The invention of the electric starter also meant people no longer had to hand-crank their gas automobiles. The mufflers were invented too, meaning less noise. And perhaps the biggest factor of the decline in the electric car Henry Ford's use of the assembly line, which led to mass production of gas-guzzling automobiles and brought down their prices. Other than electric vehicles with very limited range, such as forklifts, the electric car was nearly dead. Several efforts were made in the 60s and 70s to revive the electric car, but nothing caught on with the masses Even with the energy crises in the late 70s and early 80s, political interests were able to get in the way of those dreaming about renewable energy, and the politicians succumbed to the lobbyists in the fossil fuel industries. Perhaps one of the most notable attempts at again making an electric car a reality was in the 90s. This was the topic of discussion in the documentary Who Killed the Electric Car. The California Air Resource Board pushed for cars which were more fuel-efficient and produced lower emissions with the goal of eventually having cars with zero emissions. Many of the major automobile manufacturers introduced electric vehicles as a response to this. But the car company's attempts were a mile wide and an inch deep. Very little promotion was given to these new EVs in order to give the feeling that nobody was interested in the cars. The automakers also joined the oil lobbyists in strongly opposing mandates set forth by the California Clean Air Agency. And perhaps the biggest offender in setting up the electric car to fail was General Motors, who only allowed people to lease their EV ones with dates where they were required to return the cars. But while the importance of electric cars was ignored by the manufacturers in the U.S., foreign car companies heard about the development and started to work on hybrids, the most notable being the Toyota Prius. Other companies followed with hybrids and then plug-in hybrids to eventually full electric vehicles. These electric cars are fast-growing part of the automobile market with the likelihood of only continuing to go up. Even American auto manufacturers such as GM who killed the electric car are now producing all types of hybrids and electric vehicles. So with that, Let's go to Diana, how she sees clean tech in five years.
1: In terms of clean tech, just to open, I want to give you a little bit of a background. Clean technology, it's the technology that's used with an aim for zero emissions and waste. So the world that we live in, in just under 50 years, will be a convergence of technologies that we've observed in films over the last few decades. Back to the Future, flying cars and boards, Aaron's a big film buff, Minority Report. There they show 3D interactive computer screens that you can talk and also do hand commands to. It's also Wally. You're familiar with these films, right? Oh, yeah. I um, all of them. And Wally, the robotic trash collector. And then the film Her, which is based on streamlining operating systems that will synchronize with clean technology, such as smart cars, smart homes, smart alarms, smart taxi, and personal robots. The AI, and this will all help us stay organized and to move things. And of course, there's Star Wars. And Aaron had mentioned, stated earlier, good old Jetsons. Oh, yes.
0: Right. A lot of things from the Jetsons we're seeing come real. And the Jetsons, speaking of robots, there was Rosie. And you had the video conferences on that, which is kind of like Skype, which we have, FaceTime.
1: Exactly. There's a lot of cool things coming down the pipeline. And it's all happening right now in 2019. And it's going to continue to amp up with every year. It's incremental, but... Just like with the computer, how it started out as a very large machine and now it's gotten to where it's compact or even carrying it on our phones, it's here and it's going to continue to really blow us away. So we've gone kind of beyond what you see in the Star Wars series, but the medical also with nanotech for creating less invasive procedures and zero medical waste. Uh, And there's going to be bioengineered plants and materials that will last and be reused. Instead of our world being a dystopia, which a lot of people like to think in terms of, oh my gosh, that's where we're headed, like Logan's Run, Fahrenheit 450, Blade Runner, we will be experiencing a move into a utopia of sorts with clean tech batteries that will last 400 years. We'll be able to reuse them for another 400 years, reducing waste from consumption. We'll be practicing carbon capture using renewable energy and clean fuels for vehicles and machines, such as hydrogen.
0: We are certainly going beyond. Now, one thing I do not want to see from the Jetsons is I remember there was football on the show, was these robots playing it, and one guy controlled it, setting up the winners. Oh, wait, I think we kind of have that in football now, where they decide who wins it.
1: Exactly. (laughs) That's
0: cute. But speaking of football, for those that don't know, I'm a big football fan, so... It also reminds me, speaking of robots, that was a major theme during the Super Bowl was all these ads making fun of the digital assistants like Siri. There's like a Pringles ad doing it and a lot of ads poking fun at how robots are taking over doing jobs. That is certainly, I think, the element of the future that's caught on the most is we are really starting now to see these robots that's been a little more applicable than flying cars.
1: Right now, yes. Flying cars are here.
0: This is a thing that I learned about flying cars from a documentary series that I worked on. They actually tried to do flying cars a long time ago. Really, the biggest issue with that is flying cars, you're really not flying a car, you're flying a plane, and that's a very different type of license. Flying a plane is much more complex, so it would require basically everyone to get a driver's license and a Pilot's license? That one, well, I don't know that we'll ever see. No, I, we,
1: we actually are. I have that. There's more Oh, well, okay. Well,
0: well school me. Uh, tell me yeah. how it could work.
1: <laughs> but I thought you might have more to add. Now, I'm going to paint a picture for for you guys to imagine a future that we can have. And it's really not that far off. We've entered the year 2019. Let's consider things in five-year intervals. So five years from now will be 2024. And the next five years will make it 2029. And next five will make it 2034, and then 2039, and then 2044. And then a final six year chunk will bring us to 2050. We'll need to move into this clean tech age fairly quickly to stop climate warming. So the target date to end emissions is by 2050, like 31 years away from now. That's not very far off. We've been ushering in the clean tech age incrementally, like I said, giving us the change we'll need to reach our target date. What we're going to consider here, the big transit polluters, planes, trucks, shipping, freight, some trains, cars. We need to convert these modes of transit into zero waste, and we do it by implementing this clean tech. This all depends on the speed at which we begin creating a new infrastructure for it. The rate at which we'll move into these futuristic technologies and infrastructure will depend on the social acceptance, and that's part of understanding and not fearing this. People are people. (laughs) We all have a tendency to get that every now and then, like, is my job going to become obsolete? What's going to happen to my future? This is actually so new, it's scaring me. Do you have any comments on that?
0: Some oppose the wheel. I think that's natural that you're going to get some opposition. It happens with every technology. And speaking of movies, when we had silent movies and they went to sound, there were actors that feared their job. It's a little bit inevitable. Sure, people are going to be feared and they're going to have to learn new things, but we've survived it before. So I think we'll survive it again. We just have to deal with it.
1: Yeah, and the thing that you learn really is that with the loss of certain fields, new ones are created. Some people might say, well, I'm already close to retirement. I can't reschool and get the new skills I'll need for that new field.
0: I think so, too. You just have to want it.
1: you got to want it. Focusing on cars again, because I want to address what Aaron had said, the naysayer. Um, (laughs) How many of you know that flying cars are actually here? They are. They're here. And a lot of it has to do with the autonomous technology. It's being experimented with in Tucson Arizona right now as I speak they've been doing this for probably the last decade they're trying to just like with flying test flights they're doing the same thing with these cars work out all the bugs but anyway with these newer cars what does this mean exactly well it means that you don't have to have a pilot's license to fly your car yeah that's right it sounds a little scary you basically will use your smartphone and it will be linked into the system on the flight control. You'll make selections and then your car will fly itself. There are going to be a variety of cars and vehicles that will have the capacity to either hover or fly. Some of these flying cars will require at this time pilot licenses so the majority of them right now do require it. There's just a couple that don't. So, I'm going to give you a list of these cars. First one I've got here is the flying car, the PAL V Liberty. Another one is called the Black Fly. In terms of hover cars, the VW hover car in Tokyo, Japan, being tested, but I believe it's on the market now. There's the Vovo Terra Fujiya, which I believe just based on the name of a Japanese flying car the Maverick, the LSA flying car, the Aeromobile 3.0 the lithium batteries on these, that's the key technology right here so it goes back to the history of the electric car and how we've developed better battery use and lithium is the main one that's going to be driving these vehicles few of these flying cars are actually modeled after motorcycles so they're slender and they fly like a motorcycle would but in the air. The others fly like helicopters. Then there are hover cars that fly closer to the ground but rise four to five feet above it. Most of these vehicles have autonomous features. Do you have anything you want to add to that?
0: I'm certainly interested in learning more about these. I won't lie, it seems a little scary of the idea of flying cars, knowing that uh, some of the people out there, I don't even know that I like them so much being on the roads in a car, having them fly. But on the other hand, A lot of times with new technology, there is some fear. I'm not sure if you knew this, but the elevator, it used to be operated by hand. Right. Right. And I had heard that actually when they started changing it, where it was just went up basically without anyone controlling it, just went up in a straight line through electronics. And I know you say hydraulics, what have you. A lot of people were afraid of that, that there wasn't a person there to be operating it, that it would just be. Automatic, and they worried what could go wrong without a person there. So maybe this is similar.
1: That's a good way to look at it. And actually, the elevators are safer than when they were done by hand. Right. That's what I had heard.
0: I think so. Of course, typically at a place where there's an elevator, you do typically have someone that monitors it, especially if it's a big place, you've got security. And that's, I think, something that needs to not be forgotten with this self driving technology with the cars, too. Because the thing is, sometimes it can break down. I don't think really a self driving car will ever stop the need for us to learn how to drive, but we'll be learning in a different way. We'll be learning to be like an administer of these robots, let's say.
1: Yeah, exactly. One last part to this that I want to add. Basically, I'm going to take you on a real visualization. If you can visualize the highways and the road systems as something totally different from what we have today, these flying vehicles, then they can be effective because the way we have it right now, we don't have it's set up be able to use them. The whole transit network will have to change. This is it. The highway itself, that asphalt that we see, or concrete, that's going to go away. It will change to bioengineered moss, which doesn't require much water by the way. It will always look green and will keep the surface cooler through evaporative transpiration. All electric lines will either go underground or wireless. They'll have to be because the cars won't be able to fly otherwise. You don't want to hit power lines or anything like that. Flying cars, just like airplanes, will have a traffic map and height limit about 60 feet, no higher than the fifth floor. People imagine flying cars, again, like the Jetsons. But if we have them flying really high, like planes and helicopters, it just will have some issues with flight paths and things like that. Uber is actually working on a product right now where they're thinking they're going to take over malls, the tops of buildings and things, and they're going to have landing pads there for people with flying cars. So that's exciting. I personally can't wait to buy my
0: flying car. When you bring up that they won't be flying nearly as high as planes, that changes my perspective of it a lot because I think it will be more simple. And I could see how with that, if it's more of kind of a hovering thing, it may not need people to get pilot's licenses. Perhaps that's what they failed in the first time was that they wanted everyone to fly high up in the sky and get places fast.
1: Yeah, when they show the conceptual models, if you go online and you Google to see flying cars you'll see a lot of them, it looks like they're just like a helicopter. To make it really work, they aren't going to be in the upper airspace, they're going to be in the lower airspace. Street light poles on highways and streets, they're basically going to have to be removed. Think about it. You don't want to be hitting light fixtures. So instead, we're going to have uh, hovering drones and those drones are going to actually be multifunctional. They're going to have lights, they will have cameras, and they will also not only light the road, but in the evening, going to color code each lane, which is really pretty cool. Some airports, when you walk in and you see those colored fields. Some people might think, well, what about historic districts? Like if you're driving a flying car, there will probably be areas where you want to retain the historic look. So people will have to let their car go back down to street mode and go through that way you'll basically switch into drive mode, but in the areas where we can fly, these drones, they're going to be there they're probably going to be solar powered, and at night they're going to emit this colored light. Lanes aren't going to be as wide they're going to be more like three lanes out width wise, not four to five, and you're going to have four to five lanes up. Think about that, that's kind of neat. Still going to be some ground transport, but It's going to primarily be all hover. The lanes that get faster will basically, as you move up to the higher level, those are going to be your faster lanes. So some of you are probably thinking, well, what about massive vehicles? They can't hover. So our big diesel trucks, we won't need clean diesel, clean fuels, because they're actually going to move it into a new kind of transit system. They're called pod transit shipment containers and these pods basically are magnetized so they're talking about that this technology is here and these pods will be able to move people as well as shipments of goods imagine there's no trash anywhere for those of you who have ever been to Japan or live in Japan you've been lucky because you already know what a city environment can be with no trash but let's create that for the whole world we will have, instead of garbage trucks, we'll have these, you know, how the garbage sp- truck spins its brush going across. It's really just making a dusty mess. We're going to have, instead, WALL-E, Flying Trash Compactor Machines. So they will be computers. They'll be able to identify types of trash and sort through, pick it up, off highways and roads. They're going to be sleek and model, and they're going to be really fast. So, any thoughts on that?
0: Yes, yeah, so you're talking about the pods that move people. Is that a little bit like on Futurama where they traveled through pneumatic tubes from place to place?
1: Yeah, that's part of it. They've actually got different design styles. It's amazing. Again, you can Google this stuff to see some of it.
0: Speaking of pneumatic tubes, how about pneumatic tubes to transport objects? Maybe we won't really need this thing we call the U.S. Postal Service anymore.
1: <laughs> that's a good question. It's going to definitely be different.
0: I think so, and I guess that means I do trust machines more than humans, at least in the case of the U.S. Postal Service.
1: I wasn't even thinking about the Postal Service, but I do want people to realize that in 2015, we're going to have much cleaner air. Roads are going to look more natural as green belts or no litter. I personally, I like that. That's the vision of our transit system. There's another topic to discuss about modes of public transit systems. That will be the whole thing on public transit. I'll just list a few. Next generation transportation system, Hyperloop, personal pods, gyroscopic design, all electric self-driving buses, public rapid transit system, the sea bubble water taxi that's been designed in Paris. It will ride above the water and it can fit up to four passengers. All this stuff is electric. Uber Air, they're calling it SkyPorts. They will be on top of buildings and malls, the auto gyro, SkyTran, and transit elevated bus, and passenger drones. So to end, Erin, I just want to say that this is a quote from Mike Thalmasian In 2018, basically, that was kind of a seismic activity time for mobility sector. We learned that some of the world's top automakers are going to focus less on vehicles and more on larger ecosystems. Smart cities, autonomy, connectivity. It's like a whole sequence too to what we're just wrapped on. The other thing is you guys should take a listen to NPR. They have a whole series on clean tech. And there's this one particular talk that's done by Dan Charles. The guest is Scylla Killicote. She's an engineer and founder of EIQ Mobility, and she helps companies electrify fleets of vehicles. Well, that's it, Aaron.
0: All right. Sounds great. That's all for this month of Ego Insomniacs. Diana Brand is the producer. I'm the co-producer. We'll see you again in two months when the topic is Ego Apps for your phone and tablets.